Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go. It's the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and, in a moment, Jeff Lemon as well. Uh, earlier today, we had the chance to spend a really nice chunk of time, the better part of an hour, with the new ECB Chief Executive Officer, Richard Gould. I say new, he's actually been in the job since January with it announced last November that he would be replacing Tom Harrison in England Cricket's top administration job. But he's still fairly fresh in the role, so he thought this would be the ideal time to get him on and get a sense of how he interprets some of the challenges he's inherited on both the domestic and international stage. Right, so without further ado, here's Richard Gould. Today we come to you from the inner sanctum of the ECB Towers, to be precise, it's the Chief Executive's office with the new man in the big chair, Richard Gould. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, if it's only three or four stories, does that count as a tower? I, I, yeah. yeah. It always like sounds good. ECB yeah, Towers feels like yeah. this monolithic kind of like all you technocrats okay. sitting in here. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, uh, there's like ivory towers then, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we aim to be a bit more connected than that. But, yeah. Let, let's see how we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're on the cusp of a, a huge two-month run. So yeah. it's the 31st of May when we're recording this, 1st of July, or well, 1st of June rather, through to the 31st of July, we're squeezing in eight test matches, effectively eight test matches in eight weekends. It feels pretty special for a number of reasons, not least that there may not be many summers quite like this into the future. You must sense this nagging sense of dread that is hanging over the global game, specifically around test cricket, and and people are are genuinely worried about the future, but this feels brilliant. So much test cricket. I mean, your your perspective's on that off the top. Yeah, it feels, it does feel brilliant. I don't feel that test cricket is at risk, in this country particularly, and I think this is the sort of summer that will remind people how much Test cricket is loved and valued. And here we are, we've got, uh, we've got the World Test Championship, we've got the Double Ashes, men and women playing uh, Test cricket. It's going to be one of our biggest six or seven week periods in the history of English cricket. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think that is true, you know, that, that next couple of months is huge. But I suppose the way we're seeing it is also that this might be the last summer like this, that given the way that other countries are retreating from test cricket, that it's becoming financially harder to sustain, that there's less of a priority placed on it, that as we go on, we're going mm. to see, uh, we're going to be less likely to see festivals of, of the form like this. I think the, 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 the short form whiteboard competitions, uh, they're getting a lot of traction, clearly. Uh, they're great for cricket in that more cricket is being played around the world than ever before. So that's a, that's a good place for us to be. 
But I think test matches are just so special. Uh, that is how careers are defined, even even in these days. Uh, I was over in India uh, for the uh, for the IPL qualifier too, and then and then the final. Like, I, it was a wet final, and I wasn't able to stay with the final. The non-final. Yeah, the non-final. Yep. You know, it's, you know, when we travel to India next year, it is a five-test series that we're playing against India, and one of one of you know one of the narratives that uh, comes out of India is is that legacy is created through success in test matches. So uh, you could almost argue that the value of Test cricket is going to increase going forward because it is it is so special. Now there, there may well be some countries that retreat from it in due in, due to costs, uh, and you know that's something that we've got to work on to try and make sure that they they don't. When you look at the economics, certainly in the English game, Test cricket is producing the majority of the value. Test cricket is the cricket that gets sold out in terms of ticket sales, you know, like that, mm. uh, for the big games. I mean, remember my experiences back yep. at the Oval, you know, the, the, the biggest days were and still are in terms of ticket sales mm. when Test matches And it on. makes up a lot of the broadcast. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to be an, an empty, optimistic vessel. I pure, genuinely believe there is a very strong future for Test cricket. Got to treat it right. There's quite a bit here, and we might come back to that in a sec. What we usually do in these interviews, Richard, is we go to the start of your cricketing life. Like the okay. idea is we we okay. tell your story in the game, which oh, I know okay. doesn't quite start with cricket, does it? I mean, you're the you're the son of a football manager. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm curious about um, what cricket, what what role cricket had in the life of you as a little boy. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, my, my dad was a footballer and then a football manager. Um, sport was really important to us, uh, both you know, and it was literally uh, football, rugby, and cricket. My, my 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 earliest memories of cricket being somebody that that, that grew up in North Somerset was uh, was was the both and Richards Garner area, and uh, I remember you know going to some club when I was a little one holding onto my dad's hand and kind of I wasn't that young I think I was probably, must have been ten or eleven or whatever it was and, you know and seeing Viv Richards in the flesh for the first time was like wow my next I suppose big memory was uh, we were going to school in Surrey and because dad had moved to Chelsea by that point, was assistant manager there. And so we, I was at a school in, in, in Surrey that was uh, part, of those, um, part of the school's competitions at the Oval and, uh, and, 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 and playing at the Oval uh, when I was about 11. I'm not saying that I was on the main square. It was one of those where they cut the pitch into four yes. and they just mow, uh, mow a track and, 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 and play in there. And I've still got the Sydney video of that. So. Lovely. Lovely. And what about this place, Lords, which of course is so special to all of us who love the game? I mean, do you have a, a memory of coming here as a youngster, or maybe no, the first no. time you walked through the Grace Gates? No, the first time I came here was when I was working in cricket. Right. So no, it, this was not a place that I that, I, that I'd been to at that point. Mm-hmm. The Oval, yes, but not but not here. So there's quite a big gap there where I mean, your professional life starts as a military man. Uh, yeah. A decade in the army. I'm not sure many people sort of realise that about your story. They think of you yeah. as this long-term sports administrator, mm. but you had a different life. And it's, first it's not the traditional sporting administrator no, yeah. path, is well, it? Although if maybe you say it, that, although you know, if you look at if you look at a lot of cricket clubs, they you know uh, people used to come out of the army. Oh, 
old colonels yep. and, and end up going, right, I'm going to be secretary of such and such a club. <laughs> and so, so there was a bit of a thing on that one. But no, I spent, uh, I, I left, left school, uh, joined the army uh, straight from school and stayed in until I was about 31, retired as a major when I retired and was in the tank regiment. I had a great time, played a lot of sport, did a lot, lots of different things, played a bit, quite a lot of cricket, rugby, football. It's always pretty good for, for sports in the in the army. Were you deployed around the world? Like, what sort of roles did you have in what uh, parts of the world? Yeah. Uh, initially, when I joined, it was when the old Iron Curtain was coming down. So, uh, it was a tank regiment. We had shed loads of tanks parked up on the old East German border. Of course, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then things changed. Uh, I suppose operational tours in Northern Ireland, Bosnia. Um, but then spent a lot of time in Australia, yep. working with the Australian forces, Canada, right. Poland, all over the shop, really. It was good fun. And were you still in Germany when things started to change, sort of 89 through 90? Yeah, I, kind of so, so, so we arrived in Germany just as things had changed, which was really bizarre. Yeah. Because the old East German border was still there, but you could, you could cross it. Right, but of course the Russian forces, the Soviet forces, were still there, <laughs> and so they'd be, there, they'd be there in their shapkas and still occupying their bases, oh. and because uh, there was nowhere for them to return to in in uh, in, in Russia at that point. So it was, it was quite it was quite quite surreal in some ways. And what were you seeing from you know say from the East German population and your your conversations with them? I mean, well, how conversant were you able to be? You know, was. Uh, how was the language barrier? I'm interested oh, in yeah, their experience around that. I mean, I, I, oh, I was probably a bit lazy on the language side. My wife speaks German, so mm. she was, you know, if I, but um, going, it, it, again, it was pretty surreal. We would go over into East Germany and we'd go on little tours and we'd travel around and we'd see things and you'd see, you know, that the, the difference between West Germany and East Germany was massive. You know, you go in through the towns and it was very Soviet-style drab, Slightly depressing, you know. Lots of lots of lots of larders or whatever. No, it wasn't larders. I think it was larders, wasn't it? They were they were putting around. It it was yeah. It was fascinating to see the difference. Right. And then being in Bosnia in the nineties, I mean, that was a it must have been a hellish place to have observed uh, in the peacekeeping missions after the. Was that before or after the worst of the war? It was just after the worst of the war. So I was part of um, a multinational division led by uh, led by uh, well, it was a British division, but it was under American control. And we were up in uh, in Banyaluka, um, up in the mountains, uh, just uh, just just trying to keep trying to keep a lid on things as, as they were putting the countries countries back together mm. at, at that point. Does it? I mean, is it useful sometimes to think back on that in terms of? Having some perspective, if somebody's upset about oh, how Bristol definitely. City's results are going this uh, season, you uh, can. Yeah, I think so because you know I, I, w w when you see what the forces have gone through in Afghanistan and elsewhere over the last fifteen to twenty years, my experiences were nothing like that. You know, it was uh, Cold War warrior, and, and and then a little bit of a few tours here and there. But then there are always casualties in, in, in any theatres, and and I, I think that does give you a, a, a sense of perspective. Um, uh, in that regard, without being overly melodramatic. Although, what am I? It was. It is fascinating because you then see the sort of the, the religious components and stuff like that. And um, uh, I spent some time in Northern Ireland working with Seven Royal Irish, uh, which would be 
fair to say probably a fairly Protestant heavy organization whilst my brother was playing for Celtic <laughs> which is not a Protestant organization so I used to get a few looks when I'd ask for to, to turn the telly on so I could watch the Celtic game that was not that was not a good thing to do so I suppose with all of this football uh, in your family in your blood that, that it was uh, not an unusual link for you to go to Bristol City once you retired from, from military yeah, well I didn't know service. what else to do you know what do right. you do as a 31 32 year old tank commander not mm. having gone to the university where where do you go i suppose you you start looking for 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 things that you can link back into and um and uh, bristol city there was a there was a guy who was the chief exec at the time had come from gloucestershire county cricket club a guy called colin sexton uh sorry and um and so uh where but he'd been in the raf so i sent my cv to him yeah. and uh i ended up volunteering for about three months because I was coming towards the end of my time in the army and I had a couple of days spare a week. So I said, well, I'll come and work for you for free. And at the end of that, he said, well, I'll give you a job. I said, Great, thank you very much. And I spent about three and a half huh. years down there uh, before I went off to Somerset. It's a pretty quick progression. And I didn't, I didn't realise just how, how quick that, that transition played out. So, so running, what would you call Somerset? The biggest small county? Would that be a reasonable depiction? I mean, your, your original oh, did, county, uh, back then anyway. Yeah, when it went, when I think, I think, I think back, back, there were loads of challenges. It was really good to having worked in football for three and a half years or so, because football was a, a, a couple of leaps ahead of, of cricket, arguably is now. But it meant that, that when I got down to Somerset, there was quite a lot of low-hanging fruit. You know, so this was time when 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 data marketing and ticketing and all the rest of it was just coming to the fore, and uh, and uh, within football it was it was pretty well um, delivered. I remember getting down to Somerset and going, okay, so you talked me through the database, and they went, no, we haven't got a database. Mm. So so all right, so take me through the ticket sales, and uh, I remember Joanna, who was looking after it at the time, um, came and said, well, okay, well she she took me behind the counter and she said, right. These are all the tickets, and there was an amazingly beautiful array of hundreds of tickets, different colours, for a different colour for each different day of every match that had been, you know, processed and delivered. I said, "Brilliant, okay, I think." So, talk me through your ticket sales process, and said, "Well, we we just we just wait for people to come up to the counter the day before." <laughs> but but she said, "But to be honest, if they do, we tell them." Don't bother buying one now. Come back on the day because it might be raining. <laughs> <laughs> and there was there was just such a great sense of charm on that. But it, you know there was clearly some some improvements that we could make on that. <laughs> so you say that's the first time you walked through the, the, the gates of Lords when you were the chief executive yeah. of, of Somerset. Yeah. I suppose that would have been the first time you had anything to do with the organisation in which you now are, are, are running as, as the ECB chief executive and. You know, I think it's it's remarked upon a lot in coverage of county cricket that the the CEOs and chairs of counties a big part of their job is scrapping with the ECB. It's, <laughs> it's a naturally adversarial <laughs> environment, and that that was a, a job that you had to do on behalf of the Somerset members. Uh, yes, um, uh, to, to an extent, but I think it's more partnership than adversarial. Um, right. I think that the, the the challenge for the ECB is that it it has responsibility for the whole game. That doesn't happen in other sports. You know, rugby is split up between the RFU and then Premier League Rugby. Football, you've got the Football Association, the Premier League, the EFL. And so you've got these separate organisations that have very distinct, different jobs. And arguably, they can, you know, they can, they can put the focus that they need into those. Whereas the ECB looks after the whole game, grassroots, professional, domestic, internationals. And, and, and therefore, the ECB often has to act as a, a referee, the, you know, the organisation that prioritises what resources we've got and where those priorities should 
go. And, 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 and you know, there'll be different decisions and, 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 and arguments as to, as to how those priorities should be placed at any one particular time. I'm just realising you were at Somerset through the Justin Langer yes. era when he was there. What, 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 how much did you have to do with the pugnacious Australian left-hander? Um, a lot. Um, a great man. He really took Somerset to, 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 his, to, his, to his heart. Um, he and his wife and family lived in the same village in Somerset that I lived in. The local junior school only had 25 kids in total. So between my kids and his kids, I think we had something like 20% of the, uh, the school taken. Um, and and he's a fascinating individual because he's really, really driven. But there's also there's the many other sides to him as well. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that they always come to the fore. Uh, but he's, um, um, you know, we've got a lot, lot of time for Justin. Yeah, he's definitely one of the more complex characters yeah, I've definitely. happened upon in sport. Yeah, yeah. But he, he did an amazing job at Somerset because, mm. you know, we were a little bit, we were a little bit overly relaxed in some ways. Mm. Uh, Brian Rose brought him in. Andy Hurry, who's the director of cricket mm. down there, uh, Andy Hurry and, and JL created this amazing bond. And then you had Brian Rose, who was kind of the deep thinker, and then JL and Andy Hurry were the ones that, um, that, 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 that made it work. And I, I think that the work that, they, that he and Andy Hurry continues to do, well, you, 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 you see the legacy of that. You know, mm. for 10 years now, Somerset has punched above its weight. And in terms of player pathways, there are not many counties that have provided the quality that, um, that Somerset has. And I guess an administrative pathway as well, because that in turn sees you moved to Surrey um, after yes. a few years at Somerset. Yeah, my, I moved to Surrey in uh, 2011 after about six, six and a half years at Somerset. And um, yeah, and I was at Surrey for 10 years, which was a lot of fun. The game changed so much in the 10 years you were at Surrey. I was trying to think about it before, but like, even take the IPL. England barely had a presence at the IPL around that time that you were taking over at Surrey. And by the time yeah. you finish in 2021 and you move on back to football again, and we'll, and we'll go to that yeah. in a moment, but the the way in which capital and private equity and competing interests and yeah. um, that, that conversation we were having at the start about the primacy of Red Bull cricket, all that volatility is happening while you're in charge of what's effectively the biggest county in England. It's a really fast-changing world. And even now, it seems that the, the rate of change has accelerated even further. Um, and... Um, that's quite exciting. I know it has its challenges and it, and, and, and it allows us, you know, it allows for lots of debate on what we should be playing, when we should be playing it, who should be playing it. But I think cricket is, uh, is remarkably resilient in, in that regard. And, and the fact that it can change uh, the way that it looks and the fact that cricket can aim at lots of different audiences simultaneously. Mm. You know, the, the, the test match crowds look very, very different mm. to a hundred crowd or a blast crowd, you know, and uh, in terms of age, demographic. But the fact that we've got different forms that, that, that can attract different parts and, and frankly do different, different jobs for people at different times. I think, it's, I think, I think we're well, at, well set. When, I mean, you've got the perspective of having been between two different counties and now at the ECB itself. Yeah. In terms of trying to fit all of that stuff together, is it possible to find some sort of peace accord that will actually work for most people? Oh, we'll or will there always we'll, be dispute? We'll find out. And if I fail, I won't be here very long. <laughs> but do you, uh, do you just have to accept that dispute will yes. be part of it? There will be discontent and yes. that maybe that's okay? Yes, and, and I don't always recognise it as dispute. I just see it as different opinions. And again, when you're in a fast-changing um, world, you need opinions. You mm. know, we need... 
Uh, one of the beauties of working in cricket is, for example, I'm just saying that the quality of the journalism and the quality of the brains behind that journalism, where people have got views and they, they put them forward and it's all part of the debate. And um, I'm never going to be afraid of listening to opinions and, and enjoining in that debate because it is so fast moving. And we do need the brains trust to start, you know, to, to kick into life occasionally. In your time at Surrey, the, the club went from being um, so successful to tragedy to relegation. Yeah. I don't want to link yeah. the two things too explicitly, yeah. but they come at a similar time. Back up to the top flight and win the comp in 2018. You're there for that roller coaster ride. And yeah. my impression from the outside looking in is that you gained a lot of fans as an administrator uh, through that period of time when Surrey had to find a way to get back after having experienced some, some mm. pretty rugged times. Yeah, I think it's about honesty. You mentioned the relegation, uh, the tragedy with Tom Maynard. I suppose it's the difference between teams and clubs. Clubs are ever-present in the community. They mean something more in that regard. And um, you, you need to pour your heart into, 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 uh, in, 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 into these clubs because that's what the supporters do. And therefore, you know, you, you, it's not something that you could be standoffish about. You, you want to create a sport and a team and club that people really, really care about. And therefore, you've got to you've got to throw everything into it. And um, you know, we didn't get everything right. We never will. But hopefully, if people can identify that you know you're, you're, you, the, there is good intent there, then sometimes when you don't get it right, then at least you get the uh, you you know you get the benefit of the doubt. And then it's interesting that you go back through football for a couple of years. You have your decade with Surrey. You go back to Bristol City for a little bit, yeah. um, and then back out of there to the ECB. Now, did you? learn much from hopping back into a different sport for a yeah, bit did that a help lot, to freshen actually. up yeah a lot and uh look i'd done 10 years at sorry which is probably two years too many in truth but going uh, back going back into Bristol city where i ended up working for um steve and john and maggie lansdowne who i'd worked for before many mm -hmm. years before and you know they're incredible supporters of bristol and sport they put huge amounts of money into the football, the rugby, the stadium, and they do it really for social purpose. Mm. And, 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 you know, and they invest a lot of money into that. But it was great going back in there, working as a CEO rather than on the commercial side meant that I had much more exposure then to the player-agent dynamic. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, coming back into cricket... I think that's going to be really important over the next two to three to four years at the moment. We're in a position where, you know, we allow our players to go and play around the world uh, and play for competitions where, you know, they make money, which is brilliant, but also those teams make money. But we've almost got this sort of free player movement mm. thing. And, and, I, and, you know, this is where it'll be fascinating to see where the game goes in the next two to three to four years. You know, if, 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 if you get the follow the sun contracts, mm -hmm. then suddenly there'll be a, there will be some kind of reaction to that. Because at that point, you will want to try and protect your assets. The, the players are what the game is about. And we've got an upside in this country because we've got 18 counties. Uh, all producing um, players. We've got five and a half thousand clubs producing players. We've, you know, when you look at the quality of players that we're producing, both men and women now, we, there's not many that can match us. And I think that the ability to expand that and deliver more players into um, into the game is going to be really important going forward. I read that participation story when you had your AGM last week. I know you're keen to emphasise that point. And that must, for any administrator, be a big part of what your legacy will be. 
But the truth is, you've come back into an organisation like this in the middle of a bit of a shitstorm around the 100. <laughs> I mean, you were strident in your opposition to it when you were running the show at Surrey. I know you ran the Invincibles for a couple of years mm. at the back end of your, your time. I know, I was MD of the Old Invincibles. Yeah, I, I am very so much that, aware of that. So, so thank yeah. you for raising that. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I mean, you're, I think that, kind of coming back to my point before, a lot of people out uh, who follow the game uh, view you as the guy who's going to get rid of that 100 thing. Now, I know that you've been quite clear that that's not your no, position not. anymore, but no. nevertheless, there are fans out there who think that it's cool now because yeah. Richard and Richard are, are going to take the 100 out the back and shoot it. I think what people are mostly keen to know is what is your true north when it comes to the, comes to the, the, the 100 ball competition? We're going to... Look, you, you see the competition that we're in globally now and every country needs to have a super primetime white ball domestic competition. And we have invested very heavily in the 100 over, over, over a number of years, both emotionally and financially. And, and we need to make it bigger and better. We also have the blast yep. that we need to make bigger and better. But, you know, we are not going to take the 100 out. We are going to make it bigger and better. We're going to make the whole of cricket bigger and better. That is our aim. We want to do it in a really collaborative fashion where everybody feels as if they have a role, they have purpose... And they have something to gain from this. And I, I was, you know, so I, I was speaking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about he was talking about the hundred at the Oval, and he, and he referred to the team as Surrey. I said it wasn't it's not Surrey, it's Oval Invincibles. But it was it was fascinating the fact that you know there was a melting pot that is being created there, and I think the level of investment that's gone into the hundred has delivered really good returns in terms of a. A different audience, a new audience. The broadcasters really enjoy it. BBC have put it on free to air. That was a really big thing, getting cricket on free to air. So you know, I you know, I am utterly pragmatic. I need to deal with what's in front of me and in front of the game, and uh, and and we will do that. But we'll do it in a collaborative manner, bringing people along with us. So. Collaborative manner, pragmatic. I think a lot of people yeah. will hear those words and think, well, there's going to have to be some pivot in order to find an accord, what Jeff was referring to in his question 10 minutes ago mm. or so. Might it be that the 100 needs to grow in order to um, placate parts of the country that feel left out? Might it be that the salaries need to, I don't know, double in order to be competitive on the global stage? Like, Are these things that you're talking about behind the scenes that will improve the product because the status quo has been under siege from external forces and also inside the game from fans who, who love county cricket? Yes, yeah, salaries will need to go up. Salaries will need to go up not just for the 100 but also for international cricket because we can see that there is a global market for players. Uh, the difficulty for ECB and our revenues is that we have so many mouths to feed, uh, whereas the franchise tournaments can just take the cream off the top. They don't get charged for the players. Yep. They, they're very efficient models at getting money back into the players' pockets, but they're not funding the pathway. We need they to fund bank, the pathway. They bank the profits, whereas you've got non-profit yeah, uh, non status. Yeah. And, and we're always going to fund the pathway, but having a really strong, healthy pathway... It's the secret to long-term success. You've got to have the players. So when you see some of these tournaments around the world that are playing franchise uh, white ball tournaments and they, they perceive to be domestic tournaments, but they've only got three or four homegrown players per team, they're not domestic tournaments. Yes. You know, they're, not, they're not growing the pathway. We are, and we're really proud of that, whether it's through, whether it's through the county system or you know, the Lions set up. 
And now we've got, you know, I, I think the, uh, the the movement and the progress that's been made on women's cricket over the last three or four years is incredible. And we're on the brink of really punching through in terms of making that a proper commercial success. You know, when I, when I, when I look back both... When I look back at team sports over the last 20 years, how women's sport has been treated, whether it's football, rugby or cricket, I, I mean, it's shameful. It's only now that we're starting to look and go, well, you know, oh my word, what have we missed out on over those years? And, you know, that's where the, the 100 has, has, has helped us as a game punch through when we've got the double headers. And um, I, so there's... There's always going to be arguments of competition as, 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 to, as to what we do and where we go next. But we will be utterly pragmatic and we'll focused on progressive improvement. And, and we will do it in a collaborative manner where everybody can feel involved. So when it comes to pragmatism, the, the format changes for the 100, the gimmick of oh, this is slightly different to other forms of short form cricket. Is that actually needed? Is that... Do you think that's an essential part of the product to distinguish it from other things or could it work in a more conventional limited overs cricket way? You could argue it gives us a point of difference. Mm. You know, in a very crowded market... Point it of is, difference it isn't is, always a good it is, thing. Well, it, but, it, but it is a point of difference. And, mm-hmm. and uh, But it's a relatively... Uh, it, it's, it's, the format is not something that's, that's on my agenda right. at this regard. You know, it's, you know, because uh, Sky have been really supportive in driving it forward. It's, it's given us that point of difference. You know, everybody around the world, in the cricketing world, has heard of the 100. That's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing. We like debate. And when you look at sport, more than 50% of the coverage that we, that we get is, uh, is, is about the politics and the machinations of the sport rather than the sport itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good thing too. You know, as long as people are talking about the game, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Dave Warner, and you're listening to The Final Word. We, we spent quite a bit of time last year on the podcast talking to various people about the Andrew Strauss report, which yeah. um, which didn't effectively lots of it didn't get received favourably by the by the counties, and that had its had its process, then feedback process, and so on. It felt like that was a bit of a proxy war, you know, through the hundred about how long the championship season will be, about how profitable the hundred is versus the reality at the moment, like. How did you interpret the discord between head office, if you like, and the counties last year in and around that high performance review? Well, I wasn't in the game at that point. And so looking, it was quite interesting. You look at it from the outside in and, and it felt more like a symptom. It felt that, you know, uh, I think uh, some of the counties felt as if they hadn't been listened to for a little while and they wanted to push back. I'm sure, in part on the substance, but but also they wanted their voices to be heard. Yep. And I think that's really important that their voices are, are heard. And you know, looking at the boring governance type things, if you go back 15 years ago, the ECB board, I think there were six county appointees on the ECB board. I have a board of, what, 10, 12, 13 or whatever. Uh, but in truth, if those six county 
board members acted as a block, the rest of the board would be unlikely to go against them because they were perceived as the game, Mm -hmm. which probably meant that we weren't as progressive as we could or should have been. We've then gone to a fully independent board that has allowed bold decisions to be taken and for decision-making to be taken away from the counties to an extent. And we have seen some, some, some good, disruptive, but positive changes to the game. You know, we've, we've made changes to the game that you would never have got through with a, with a previous governance element. Mm. You know, we're now we're now looking at that again, and, and, and there's probably probably the pendulum needs to swing somewhere back in the middle somewhere. Because so would we, you have been opposing that as a county chairman? Oh, what in terms or of the independence? In terms of the the change of that governance structure, so there was less power in the hands of yeah, counties of course, on the board. Yeah, of course, because the you know it, the stakeholders don't want to lose their power uh, mm. in that regard. But you know, but then the stakeholders can't get in the way of progress either sometimes because you know. Much as we like to think that we're all grown up, self-interest does come into it in terms of mm. that, you know. And when I'm working for Surrey or Somerset or Bristol City, my job is to look after that organisation. Yeah, I think that's lost upon people sometimes. Not everyone, but some that, that they think that administrators come into these jobs and that, that they are easy black and white decisions when ordinarily there's lots of shades of grey mm. and you've got to represent the interests of the organisation you're working for at any given moment. And like... I Again, this point of view being quite popular, right? Like, I think in, in cricket land, people that follow the game day-to-day closely and follow the governance of the game, your mm. your brand is quite strong personally, well, it's owing for, to what it, you did at Surrey moment, and, and yeah. the 100. And, but it's kind of my point. Yeah. You will probably become very unpopular through the time you're in the job. That's inevitable oh, for I, any senior I executive. So. Do, do you feel that is something yeah. you're equipped for when, when the slings and arrows come your way? When people hear you say on this podcast that you're backing in the 100 and you want to see it expand and you want to see progressive change and you want to see it be bigger, there'll be people who will, who will get very angry at that. You're, you're relaxed about that kind of relationship that you're likely to have with the public. Yeah, I am relaxed about it because, because you know, we want everything to be bigger. I want the county championship to have more supporters going to it. Yeah. I, you know, I want more members of every club. I want, I want more people watching women's cricket. I want everything to grow. You know, we've got roughly about three million people will go and watch a professional game this year. We want that to be four million within a couple of years. Yep. So we, we, we want all ships to rise on this tide. And, and we know that uh, each format has its own plus sides yes there are negatives of course there are but in you know across all of them but that you know i want everything to grow and and when i do get criticism i just got to take it on the chin but then i grew up on the terraces sitting on the terrace or standing on the terraces i remember at twerton park in bath when bristol rovers were playing there and my dad was manager you know some of the songs that they would sing about my dad weren't weren't that great so i've got a Mm. relatively thick skin (laughs) but you know as long as as long as you um as long as you uh, as long as people can understand that we're you know we're doing our best and we'll do our best for as long as we're allowed to um and then uh and then uh, you know at the appropriate time we'll get moved on that's what happens (laughs) so if we're talking about the growth of the game the ICC funding allocation story that's mm-hmm. come out over the last couple of weeks, 38.5% of ICC revenue for India, 6%-ish at most for anybody else. What's your view on the proposal, which will be voted on in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, well, my first not wholly serious thought was at least there's not going to be um, a death of a gentleman version two <laughs> uh, because there's no longer the big three, there's, you know, there's the big one. But when you see where that value is created... And uh, then 
I, I think there's, I think it's understandable. You know, I think there, there, there may be tweaks in the margins here or there, but the dominant position that India is in is based on India's ability to drive revenues and to drive the sport forward. 1.4 billion people, one sport, 10 teams, 10 domestic teams, one international team. But what, what I'm also fascinated by is India's determination also to assist the world game. Okay, we look, we look at the percentages and go, well, that's not fair, it should be split equally. But, but we've got to look at the size of the market. Uh, you know, India play as many international fixtures as any other team in the world. And they do that because they know that when they tour as an international team, they bring interest and revenue to that home side. So um, I, I think it's important to see things in the round in that regard. Fascinating. So your, your starting point isn't that a more dedicated redistribution model, which filters through to countries that have greater need, your view, your starting point is that India make the money, so India should be able to take a pretty sizable chunk of the money, even if they don't frankly really need that much. Well, how much do they need? They've got 1.4 billion people and... Um but does the size of their population even weigh into this? I mean, this uh, is the other argument that's yeah. been percolating that just purely down to having a massive population, should that inform how much money's taken from this? Remembering they, they, they clip the ticket yeah. in ways that you would love to at the ECB <laughs> with their TV rights deal domestically, the IPL deal, which outstrips yours several times over. I mean, they're already making so yeah, much money. You're looking at $10 billion yeah. in other revenue from yeah. their IPL and their bilateral rights yeah. deal before the ICC money even comes into it. The ICC money is a, a small minority of the overall funding that they get and the difference that even some of that money could make to other developing countries versus a country where cricket is fully established as the yeah. sport. I think that's the point of the I, argument. I get it. You know, I, I, I get it, but I also understand how important India is mm. because without them, uh, we wouldn't have the kind of revenues that are coming in mm. uh, to the game. And, um, and, I, and, and I do think India make huge efforts to be, to be you know, responsible partners in this. When, when I see the amount, that, you know, the amount that they, they travel around the world taking India... Everywhere, sure. You know. So, so I, you know, I do think it is a balance. And yes, we would like more money. We'd always like more money, but that's up to us to try and drive those income streams. I'm, I'm going to use my favourite stat at the moment, which is the ECB commercial revenues are currently 120 million pounds less than Spurs. Uh, right. right. So that's an interesting number. Yeah. You know, we're about 320. They're about 440, something mm -hmm. like that. And, um, and you can make those sort of comparisons with county budgets versus, you know, fourth division football absolutely. teams and those sorts of things. But, but, you know, this is one of the sorts of things that I think gets a little bit lost maybe when we're working with or talking to government and our ability to throw money at things. It's just not there as a sport. What we can throw is passion and determination and love for the game. And you look at our huge volunteer workforce through all of our clubs and our support through, you know... Five and a half thousand clubs, all the county clubs, the county boards. We, we we're a sport that really means something to people, and therefore it's not just about the money. When you look at the impact that we have on on the country, um, generating significantly less revenue than a than a Premier League uh, club, I think we we do all right. We want to do more. Mm. We know we need to do more. Generating less than a not very good Premier League club. Is <laughs> not getting involved in that. No. My old man played for Arsenal, so <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right about the big three becoming the big one. That was probably the main takeout point from the from the report and Crick Info a couple of weeks ago. Mm. This put England in an interesting spot, you know, historically so much authority in running the global game here at Lords. Then the big three where you were a partner with India and with Australia in effectively carving up everything for yourselves before your time. So no no criticism of you personally there. There'll, as you say, there'll be no death of a gentleman oh, number two. No, but there, now there, when there you're around be. the ICC table, it's a different dynamic, right? Like you sat with Jay Shah the other day at the IPL qualifier and, and mm. final, um, a 34-year-old who basically controls world cricket. I don't think that's stretching things. He, he, he is the most powerful man in world cricket, at least. Yeah. Um, the, a 34-year-old mm. can be in that role and have that much authority and... England as a nation and what you represent as the ECB, that is a very different dynamic to how it's been for, well, ever really. How, how do you interpret that? Um, uh, yeah, he, he is the prime leader in world cricket. But he has big teams around him. You know, there is um, um, sport and politics in any country is pretty intertwined. And, um, and, 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 and therefore, I, you know, I, think, I think there is collective decision making, both in India and within the ICC, and uh, I think there is a real determination to an understanding that that we need we need cricket to be expanding and we need to be healthy around the world. And you know, it's and and you look at the T Twenty franchises and uh, and all these leagues that are being created. And I go back and say it again: there is more cricket being played around the world now than there ever has been before. Mm. That's got to be a good thing. And then there are other markets in play. You know, I you know. Uh, the States is an interesting market. What happens uh, if we get cricket in the Olympics in two or three years' time, which is in the States? That could be... A, that could be... A, there's another key pivotal moment for mm, it. It's, mm. it's, it's all... It's... You know, I think the, the game is growing. Undoubtedly, it's growing. Uh, there'll be some bumpy patches along the way in terms of what direction we take. But never mind that. Let's, let's look at the overall big picture. The game is growing. You talked about collective responsibility there for the game and managing the game and growing the game. Uh, we all celebrated uh, 20 years of Jimmy Anderson's first test match here at Lords yeah. last week. What a lovely thing that was. Yeah. Also means it's 20 years since Zimbabwe have played test cricket here. That's inexcusable. Yeah. Not your fault, but it is inexcusable. Oh, no, and look, we've got plans. And, and so, Bangladesh, so. just to, and you were in Bangladesh yeah. earlier this yeah. year. Bangladesh haven't been here since yeah. 2010. You're now in the hot seat. I know you've inherited this FTP. It's not your baby necessarily, but I'm glad to hear, I want you to expand upon that if you can, about plans for two other full member nations who have not been treated with respect by the ECB, by your predecessors. Well, well, you know, watch this space, and I, and, and, and I wouldn't want to criticise my predecessors because we've come through three or four years of, um, of uh, unbelievably difficult times. But this goes back 20 years. It, it does go back 20 years, but, but, but we've, you know, the last three or four years have been really difficult. Yep. You look at international schedules, we've been playing COVID catch-up. We've got to make sure that we get the balance right as to how much cricket we play for our key international players. We need to understand where the value is coming from. But, you know, um, uh, the ICC meetings that I've been to are extremely collegiate, extremely warm, and people understand and want to work together. And I, I think that's a, that's a, a good family to belong to. Hmm. You talk about, I mean, we often have to underline with when talking about the ICC that it's not a separate body making decisions on its own. It is a member's body. It's a collective of, yeah. of the full members making decisions together. When you've 
got situations like, you know, South Africa are the third oldest test nation. They're retreating from test cricket almost entirely. They play occasional two test series and, and nothing but. New Zealand are playing two test series only. You know, legacy teams, not developing teams, not mm -hmm. emerging countries like Afghanistan or Ireland. Is there a collective responsibility from everybody who's involved with the ICC? And is there, is there some actual plan that can be put into place to try to support test cricket as something that will continue elsewhere. You talked about five test series between India, Australia, mm -hmm. England. Great. I mean, those could continue forever. Test cricket's strong in Australia. India does have that that respect for the symbolism, the the, mm. the sort of historical weight of test cricket. But if it's only three countries playing it, it's, it's, it's a, a meaningless mm. exhibition. Is there something that can be done to try to continue to promote it? We've always heard things yes. about the test no, cricket I, fund being floated. It's never come to fruition. Is there something practical that can be done? Yeah, I think there is, but I wouldn't always put the responsibility in the ICC, I think we need to take responsibility. Mm. Right, you take the World Test Championship, sell out at the Oval, yep. England, India, Australia, that mm -hmm. would be awesome. But then look at the models that we've got for Test cricket. You know, when somebody tours England, we don't pay them a fee, we don't pay their players. The, the, the way that it's done in bilateral cricket at the moment is that you retain your own home domestic revenues. Mm -hmm. And when you travel away, they receive yep. a domestic venue. And if their so, market so, is worth almost nothing and exactly. your market is worth a lot... So, so, it's so that's important. where the disparity of markets comes right. in. You know, and so so that's something that I think that we we, we will want to and need to look, look at in terms of encouraging people not just to play test cricket but also to make sure that they can they can pay their players and pay them well so that they want to play test cricket. Again, you know, I come back and I look at our base finances in this country and I know we are... We are, we are slightly different, but Test cricket is one of our strengths, mm. and therefore we have a we have a, an important role to ensure that Test cricket remains special and remains financially sustainable. I'm mindful we're running out of time, so a bit of um, back and forth uh, uh, scattergun here if yeah, we can. World Test Championship, it's in the FTP next two cycles. Do you want mm. it to be there for the next twenty uh, FTP cycles? Are you a believer in the World Test Championship remaining at a minimum of where it is right now, but ideally expanding? Yeah, I think it's working really well. We've heard from the owner of the, let me get the franchise right, mm -hmm. Rajasthan Royals last yeah. week, yeah. Um, that he sees international cricket being played in windows akin to Wimbledon. I would imagine you have an aversion to that. That isn't something you'd like to see. Well, we, we play in a window now. But I mean, windows of a fortnight, like a fortnight of test cricket yeah, or something like that. I think it depends on where you're deriving your value and what your business case is based on. Mm. And um, that will differ from domestic market to domestic market. Is there a place for Tim Henman in Test cricket? That's, <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe on yeah. the board or something like that. No, I saw Manager's uh, comments, and you know, it was interesting. But but he also said that we need to make Test special. Yeah. I think that's what we do really well yes. in this country. Every Test feels like a proper occasion. Well, seventy percent of your broadcast revenue, right? Uh, uh, yeah. But you, but you know when you when you know when we go to Edgebaston for the first Ashes Test, or when you come to Lords or the Oval, yeah. they all feel like really special occasions. And I, th I think uh, other countries could take a little bit of a, a leaf out of that and make sure that their tests too feel like really special occasions. Contracts are a nightmare. There's no easy solution. One that's been mooted is much higher match payments and pretty much junking national deals. So do you think that's the direction of travel? Uh, I, I think direction of travel is paying the international players more. Right. Uh, how we do that will depend on, on, on a, almost a per player basis potentially at some point. Um, uh, uh, both for the men and the women, we need to pay more.
does it sort of frighten you that you might be in the chair when I know what you want and you've expressed in this interview how you want um, international cricket to advance, but if it does go the other way and teams do drop off, and look, South Africa is a good example of this as well, they're playing a pitiful amount of test cricket compared to the previous five-year cycle. You might be here in this office as test cricket does recede around the world. Does that sort of daunt you? No, I, I, I think we've got a really, we've got a really important position to, to, to demonstrate that Test match cricket is, uh, is where the memories are made, where the legacies are created. And you know, you mentioned South Africa. Um, South Africa have been through a difficult patch, but you look at the SA Twenty, we're playing to huge crowds. That will have a knock-on effect for all cricket in South Africa. I think that that will create more enthusiasm and will will allow the game to to build again. To an extent, to some of us who've been in the game for a long time, do we have to try to be less rigid in our thinking? Because I'm, mm. I'm conscious of challenging my own um, preconceptions and prejudices sometimes that this is real cricket, this other cricket isn't, you know, T20 cricket isn't as good, it doesn't count. But then, as you say, if you've got countries playing T20 cricket who would never have played international cricket before, that is better than them not being involved at all. Don't, don't, don't be less rigid because that would indicate that you may care less and we mm. want people to care more. Uh, one of the issues with cricket in England is that, on average, anybody that's coming to watch cricket only comes to 1.3 games per year. Right. So it's more of a day out in that regard. Yeah. Whereas we know that the county members that go to lots of days, they're, they're fans. Remember, fan is short for fanatic. Mm. I want people to be fanatical about cricket. And I don't mind if that's the 100, the blast, uh, test match cricket. It doesn't matter. Take your pick and we'll provide something for you. I'm quite aware that we haven't really had the chance to talk about women's cricket other than a little bit around the margins with the 100. But, you know, women's cricket, uh, due to the lack of investment in it until 10, 15 years ago, is playing behind the curve to such an extent. I mean, that must be a big part of your thinking. How, as a global game, can the women's uh, side of things play catch-up in a hurry and how can the ECB... Yeah, we, we, it already is to, to a point. I mean, yeah. it's moving so quickly. Yeah, yeah of course it, it is, but it's going to have to play... It's going to have to be turbocharged. It, 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 it is moving quickly, uh, but we need to continue to invest in it and we need to over-invest. Uh, you know, when, when, when we look at the revenues that it's, that it's creating, it's creating significant revenues, but we're currently probably spending three times more than the revenues that are being created and we will continue at that pace, if mm. not accelerate, because we do need to make up for lost time. Team sports have not dealt well with women's cricket. I have to hold my hand up because I've been an administrator for 20 years mm. uh, and so I'm, I, you know, I'm as much to blame as anybody. Do you look back over your time with Surrey and Somerset and so on and think, well, what, what could we have done? Yeah. What more could we have done there? I, I, I remember uh, Somerset, um, uh, Jim Conway was uh, l uh, looking after the England women's team at that point. And, uh, and the England women's team came down to Somerset to play some games and, and, and I said, right, OK, well, well, we'll turn Somerset into the home of England women's cricket because at that point they were bouncing from school to school and, and all the rest of it. And so, you know, we did that for a couple of years and then fortunately they outgrew us rel relatively quickly. But at that time, why did I not ask, where's the Somerset women's team? Yeah. And I look back and I go, that was a, that was a real mistake. Why, why at that stage was I happy to, you know, to promote the England women and bring them down without thinking, where's the... There are women here, thing? there are girls here who would ah, like to be able to play in five and, years. And, 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 uh, in, and I remember taking my, my own young daughters at that time to the, to the T20 World Cup, Women's T20 World Cup that Taunton, Taunton hosted, and, and you know, my girl was saying, Dad, why, why are the girls on the pitch? Because girls were not used to seeing women's... Uh, teams, sports teams, out on a pitch. That's 
you know, we, I have to apologise for that. I think we all have to apologise for that and try and, and try and correct that as quickly as we can. I remember some, someone said to me about a good politician, they have two things, they can show contrition and candour, and I think you've, 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 you've done that through the course of our conversation. You, you're a busy boy and I'm not going to let you go in a sec. You know, politicians... Uh, uh, well, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Positions of authority where people are scrutinising your job. Uh, I, you got, I mean it, I mean it. I, I, I'm sure you do. Uh, and you've got stuff to get to day before a test match. Jobs where you're not necessarily popular. This, I, I just have one, one okay. last question. On that, on that pen. Why did you want to take this job? I mean, it's a, because it's a job to be done. Yeah. I could have quite happily stayed in football, having great fun, doing stuff. But I, I don't know whether to go back to your army days, but I think there's, there's a duty there. Uh, and there is a real job to be done. People are involved in cricket because they love the game and because of the social change that it can deliver. That's what we're here for. And, and I want to try and make sure that we can have a few more smiles around the place, all right? Because it does get sometimes too serious. We take ourselves too seriously. The aim of sport is to have some fun and enjoy yourselves and, and um, you know, I, I want to be smiling a bit more. That's a really nice place to leave it. You've got a lot of goodwill, I reckon. You've got a lot of political capital. Uh, spend it well. Uh, I will try not to waste S it. Spend it yeah. well. Uh, good yeah. luck in the job yeah. in the months and years ahead. Uh, thanks for being great with us today. Thank and you. Uh, and, and um, we'll, we'll try and do this maybe this time next year. Yeah, it'll be good. Thank you. Thanks to Richard Gould for giving us enough time today to talk about more than the obvious. Having interviewed him a number of times in his previous job leading Surrey, I knew he'd be an engaging guest and so it proved. Of course, there were many more topics we could have tackled with him, uh, such is the nature of his wide-ranging brief, but hopefully that gives you a nice feel for how he sees his new job. And as we said at the end, we'll try and make that an annual thing, uh, which it felt like he's pretty receptive to. In closing, I suspect there'll be quite a few people listening to us for the first time today due to who we've had on as our guests. So welcome one and all. We make lots of different types of shows on this podcast. Some of them are long interviews like the one you've just listened to, but we also make a weekly program around the issues of the game and a weekend show that goes back in time to look at the cricket history. And during a test series or a major tournament, we're with you every night at Stumps with our shorter, sharper hits from the ground, which will be the case throughout the course of the next two months, starting on Thursday at Lords with England's men playing Ireland. And what makes it possible for us to make so many shows and committing our time to that are the contributions of our mighty Final Word community. Uh, by supporting us at patreon.com forward slash the final word, you also get access to the nicest cricketing corner on the internet, our Discord channel. And coming soon, I'm pleased to say we'll also have an ad-free feed for those of you who've had our back and have been supporting us financially week to week throughout the year. So with such a busy couple of months ahead, there's never been a better time than to hit that button, patreon.com forward slash the final word. That link is also in the show notes. All right, that's it for us today. Thanks as well to Dave Collins and Cam Ponsonby who make it all happen for us behind the scenes and to everybody for listening. This has been The Final Word. Bye for now. I had to go about